call in an audio, audible. Can you bring uh, John chapter 15 up? That changed my mind. Tom asked me this morning if there was going to be a sermon passage. I told him no, and then now I just changed my mind. So he's, he's having to pull it up real quick. Should be 15 verses 1 through 8. I think it's in there somewhere. There we go. For those who are willing and able, could you stand with me for the reading of God's word? John 15, 1 through 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Lord, let your words ring true this morning, and may they speak to the, our hearts as you wish. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. So something that's been on my heart the last... Um, couple weeks, even couple months, even leading up to just kind of the events of this week. Um, it's just kind of the estate of things that we've seen so far as how things have really changed since the 90s. I know there was a whole big Christian movement, probably even before then, but it really hit its full steam, it feels like, in the 90s and the early 2000s. There was a... Um, a declaration made during that time because of how many people were coming to the church and how big our organizations have gotten and how many missionaries we were sending. We thought that we were going to be able to convert the world to complete Christianity by 2010. And um, man, things have changed, haven't they? And I was going to list specific situations, but I thought for the sake of not doing any kind of mudslinging or any kind of perception that I was trying to talk bad about people, I decided to move away from talking about specific situations. But it does not take much to hear about and know about a lot of the people and organizations that have fallen here recently. There's some big Christian pastors, some big Christian organizations, some big Christian fill-in-the-blank that have come out on the news here recently doing some pretty non-Christian things. And there has been a distrust in the church more and more and more over the last decade because of the fact that 
we unfortunately did the things that Jesus warned about where we were hypocrites. We'd talk about one thing and then we would do another behind closed doors, unfortunately. Okay. And so with this, it's really brought a lot of tension to my, to my heart because, you know, usually what we do is we hear these things, we sit and we shake our head in disbelief, and a lot of times when we're doing that, we unintentionally kind of do it in arrogance. Like, how can that person possibly have done that? And then on the inside, you think to yourself, I would never X, Y, and Z. But, you know, one of the things that I would have to say is, you know, thinking that we have such a self-confidence that we are immune to such a fate, you know, I would have to ask you, well, have you ever been a pastor of a church that's led 10,000 people? Well, then how do you really know? Have you ever been part of a multi-million dollar organization that's got demands placed on it all the time? Well, then how do you really know? And so instead of us sitting here taking a step back and looking upon these situations with judgment, I think it's a little bit better if our response is filled with a little bit more humility. Maybe instead we think to ourselves, okay, well, why do these things keep happening? Maybe I don't, maybe I can't say whether or not I would or would not have done it, but maybe the better question is, is if they keep happening over and over again, maybe there's a root cause that we need to get to. And maybe it goes much deeper than just these big organizations. Maybe it trickles down into the smaller ones too. We're just less aware of it because there's less on the line. And so I just want to think about just how our present systems work um, here specifically in America, and we're not the only ones, um, and just kind of think through together um, maybe if some of these things that we've set up, even though they've been effective for certain things, maybe they're not how they were originally meant to be. Okay? Because here's what we do in America. If something's good, we prop it up. Right? They have a really, really good football team. You don't take the good football team off the news. You know, if the football team's doing well, you put it on. And when you have a pastor who's a dynamic speaker, one that you can listen to, you can laugh at his jokes, you don't fall asleep during his sermons, he's got a lot of passion, and he bangs on things, and you really can get into his message, well, generally speaking, that person gets propped up, and he has a big church. Makes sense. He's got a gift. Why would you not cater to that gifting, okay? Um, if you have an organization that is taking in a bunch of money and they're able to send all these different missionaries, it makes sense to allow that organization, if it's effectively doing that, to prop it up, okay? Um, when you have organizations that are doing that, nonprofits and other things and so on and so forth, and there's nothing wrong with that, but what I think we sometimes inadvertently do is because they're so good at that, we kind of take a step back and we let them do it. We now are like, you know what? This pastor is so good at preaching, so good at leading, I'm going to let him lead. This organization is so good at helping people and so good at doing ministry I'm going to let it do ministry. This nonprofit is so good at doing 
um, stuff for the poor, stuff for the this, stuff for the that. I'm going to let them do it. And I'm just going to give my dollars to it, and I'm going to come in and I'm going to sit in on it. Okay? Well, what we inadvertently do, and Israel did this, is we come in and we are so ready to have someone lead that we kind of ask God to set up a King Saul. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that story, but I want to tune into it. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And I want us to look into this account. It says, as Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abadiah, his oldest sons, held cord and Beersheba. But they were not like his father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, now you are old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with the requests and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed after other gods, and now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way the king will reign over them. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were, who were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers and make them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make his weapons and chariots equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and to bake and to make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grapes and harvest and distribute them among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkey of his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king for your demanding, but the Lord will not help you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord replied, do as they say, give them a king. And it's so crazy because here's what I do whenever I get into situations like that. I will literally read a scripture like that, and I'll be like, how ridiculous. Who in their right mind would hear that entire warning and be like, yeah, man, go ahead, give me a king. Man, I'm like, that's stupid. I would totally never do that. I do it all the time. We do it all the time. It's so absolutely crazy. Uh, you know, there's, um, it's the same thing. We look at the stories and scoff, and we do the same exact thing that the Pharisees did. Uh, Matthew 23, 30. Um, when, then they say to you, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would never have joined them in killing the prophets. Literally, the Pharisees said that. And then what did the Pharisees do? Kill Jesus. And man, all too often we do that. We look at this thing here and we sit and we scoff and we're like, man, we'll never be like that. When we should have a little bit of humility and say, man, like, I know I have the danger to prop up a thing that I'm not supposed to prop up. The Lord was always meant to be the king of Israel. 
They didn't need a king. They had one. And he would speak to the people through Samuel, and he was going to provide. As a matter of fact, Samuel was still alive when David was anointed, was he not? Didn't Samuel go and anoint David king? So they had a king on the way. They already had everything that they needed to, but because they wanted things their way, they were willing to sidestep it. And I think that we inadvertently have kind of done the same thing. We've wanted God to bring revival. We wanted God to change lives. We want God to feed the poor, to help the sick. We want him to do these great, wonderful things. But then what we do is instead of us looking to him to do it, we inadvertently prop up these other kings and have them do it instead. And so we fall into the same sin as the people of Israel during the time of Moses. Uh, look with me in Exodus chapter 20. It says, And they said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. So I just want to just call to attention um, just our tendency, because we all do this, every single one of us, Okay. We call ourselves the people of God, but then we, we call ourselves his children, but then we don't take the time to go and sit in the Lord's presence. It's like if we are the, the children of the Lord, it's like me saying with Caleb, Caleb is my son, but I'll never let Caleb sit in my lap. Or Caleb never wants to sit in my lap. All the time he wants to. Every single time we're eating dinner, he'll finish with his meal and he'll come over and he'll sit on my lap and that's his way of telling me, hey dad, I'm done. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we're also the people who call themselves Christians, which means little Christ, but then we never actually take the time to have a conversation with the one with whom we are made. Um, we say we're his disciples, but we never learn to follow him where he may go and what he might, where he might stay, get acquainted with the Holy Spirit that he left us. Instead, what we do is we do the same thing the Israelites where we demand a king. I want an organization to lead me. I want a pastor to tell me what to do, to what to think, to where to go. I want to know where I need to serve, so I'm going to go and put myself underneath this organization and let them do it. So we get to remove our own thinking, our own process from the situation, and we get to prop up these people that they can just tell us where to go. They can just tell us what to do. And not that those things are bad, but they don't serve things well, because here's what we do. If anyone other than Jesus is sitting on the throne, that person will always fail. Always. I don't care if it's an organization. I don't care if it's a pastor. I don't care, fill in the blank. If it is anything other than Jesus on the throne, that thing will eventually falter. So what we are seeing is the fact that we have set up these machines to dictate to us what God's vision is. I'm sorry, my friends, a pastor is not supposed to tell you what God's vision for your life is. God has to tell you what his vision for your life is. The only mediator between us and God is Jesus. I'm not a mediator. Ron's not a mediator. No one is a mediator between you and God. Jesus is your only mediator. 
and you have to connect with him. We can no longer prop up these people anymore and tell them to tell us what to think. We can no longer prop up these organizations and tell us to do the work for us. We can no longer prop up anything anymore. We have to have responsibility that we ourselves are connecting with the king. Because what we're supposed to do is every single one of us individually have our own calling from God. And we don't gather here to get that calling. We gather here to spur one another on. Hey, this week the Lord called me to share the gospel with my coworker. That was really hard. Can you guys encourage me in that? This week, my son who's walked away from the faith, I tried sharing the gospel with him and he shut me down. He's rejected me. He says he's not coming to Christmas anymore. I really want to know how to love him. I don't want him to feel rejected. I want him to know that I care about him, and it's not because I judge him that I tell him about Jesus. It's because I love him. How do I do that? Can you all encourage me and pray for me? Man, I've been really scared to tell my neighbor about Christ, but they're sick, and I know they need it. I want to give them some hope. Can you help me know what to say to them? We gather together here because every single one of you has a mission. I'm not the one in charge of the mission. I'm in charge of encouraging you in all the missions that the Lord is giving you. Every single one of you has a mission. You are more special than you know you are. And you are more capable than you know you are. And I see it. I see the gifting and calling in each of you. And I don't care if you're 16 or 85. The Lord used people who are older than you, and the Lord has used people who are younger than you. And this time, especially this week, has taught us time is too short for us not to take a step back and to take responsibility in the callings that we have. Because as long as we continue delegating the mission, delegating the message, delegating the relationship to someone else, we will always keep putting the wrong people on the throne. And every time they get on the throne, they will eventually fall. What we have to do instead is we have to move Jesus back to the throne and say, Lord, you were what I want. You were what I seek. Even if Crestmont were to close its doors and every other church in America closes doors, it doesn't matter. Because my faith isn't built in a physical building. My faith is built on the Holy Spirit and my personal connection with Jesus. That even if I were taken away from here and put on a deserted island and I had nothing, I would still have everything because I still have Jesus. See, all these things that I'm speaking of, I'm not trying to sling mud and say churches are bad or pastors are bad or organizations are bad or nonprofits are bad. Please don't hear that. All those things are wonderful and glorious, and the Lord has set them up. But supplements are good, but I don't sit there and pass on dinner because I took a multivitamin. Church is a supplement. It is not a replacement. It's something you add to. You have a relationship with God one-on-one, and church adds to that relationship you have with God one-on-one. It doesn't replace it. As long as church is your main course, you will always be hungry. 
you will always feel deprived, you will always feel burnt out, because I'm sorry, my friends, this hour here is not enough to supplement what you need. You have to have that personal connection with Jesus, and this will just add to it. You know, I take my supplements to add a little bit of energy, not to make me feel full. And that's what this does, is it adds energy to you by you being here and being encouraged by the fellow believers. Okay? And so, all this to say is, I know that this is difficult. You know, um, having a relationship with Jesus is scary. It really is. You know, there's a reason why Israel said, no, thank you, Moses. We don't want to talk to God. The guy literally spoke and shook the mountains and fire came down and no, thanks. I'll rather do it through you. That's a whole lot safer. And I get it. I totally do. When you go into your home and you sit down and it could be on your drive to work or anything and you start to pray, it's awkward, especially when you're first starting to do it. What do I say? Do I say things right? I you know, is God going to get mad at me for what I say? Can I be honest? It, it's not an easy thing to work through. It's a whole lot easier just to avoid it altogether. And I understand that. But my friends, I promise you, the person who you're trying to connect with loves you more than I can say. And he wants to speak to you. It may be awkward in the, in the beginning, but I promise it's worth it. You know, whenever I first started to date Jacole, um, it's going to sound funny, but it was a little bit awkward, um, but you can always see the kids who are dating, you know, the ones who, like, they just started a relationship, and they're trying to figure out, what can I say, what can I say, what can I do, you know, and you're always, like, you're always apologizing, and you're like, can I touch their hand, can I not touch their hand, you know, it's like, if I say this, is that going to make them mad? Like, can I be honest about my interests? Can I be honest about my little bit of idiosyncrasies, my little awkwardness? You know, it's, it's, it's funny to work through. You know, Bill, you know, you can probably talk about it. No, I'm kidding. Um, but every relationship starts that way. Every relationship starts with figuring out the boundaries and how it all works. But I'm telling you, me working through the awkwardness with Jacole was dang worth it. Y'all see her? I married up, man. Seriously, she needs to get her eyes checked or something. I don't know. I don't know how Jacole landed me, but, you know, or I landed her. So I don't know how all that worked out, but somehow it did, but it was worth it. And in the same way, working through the awkwardness of your relationship with God, I promise you, is worth it. Take the time. Learn to do it. You can do it however you want. Do it in the car, do it in your closet, do it at the kitchen table. I don't care. And if you need help, I'm here to help. Okay? Because here's the promise that the scripture says in Jeremiah 29, 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Is there any restrictions on that? No. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay? Which gets me to the main point and the focus of the message um, is the Lord is the vine dresser and he's also a pruner. Great news. Love it. <laughs> so um, just going back to the things that we've been kind of just seeing that I was referencing. Um, when we stop and we ask the questions on why this is happening, it's, it's easy to find the answer. And it goes back to just the passage in John 15. And we'll just 
briefly skim through that together because um, I know we've already read it, but I just want to touch, touch on some of the highlights on there. So he's the vine, we are the branches. We have to abide in him. It doesn't say that you can abide in church. It doesn't say you can abide in a Christian textbook. It doesn't say that you can abide in serving on some place on Wednesday. You have to abide in Jesus. And if you don't, there's a promise in there. You will wither. You cannot take a branch off of a vine and it not wither. I'm sorry to say it is literally impossible. And in the same way, we cannot be Christians who are not abiding in Christ. If we don't have that personal connection with him, I promise you, you will wither. And how does it start? You used to be a whole lot more patient and all of a sudden you're less patient. You're like, man, like I used to not get angry so easily, but I'm starting to get pretty angry all the time. I used to not flip off the car that, you know, I'm just whatever, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, but, you know, there, you will start to see changes in your attitude because the fruits of the Spirit are exactly that, fruits of the Spirit. They're not fruits of the Ricky, I'm sorry to say. I cannot muster up patience and joy and all these different things even if I want to, maybe on occasion, but effectively all the time, no way, absolutely not. Those are found in Jesus, and if I'm seeing those slip, it's because I'm not abiding in Jesus, okay? And so... The thing about it is, and we'll be moving into this next section in just a second, is the truth is, is it also doesn't give room for exceptions, okay? So every single branch, no matter what, if they're not connected to Jesus, is going to wither. That's a pastor, that's a churchgoer, I don't care who it is, they will wither, Okay? He does not allow anyone else to sit on the throne. He does not. Okay? He will keep cutting off branches as long as he needs to. And here's what we have a tendency to do, and I know that we do it because I myself has done it. We see all these different things failing, and we see all this pruning going on, and we see all these uh, branches that are starting to wither and to be moved over to the side, and we're like... Surely it has to stop sometime soon. Surely there can't be that many more churches that close their doors. Surely. How many thousands of churches have closed their doors since COVID? It's so many. Uh, we've even had a couple here in town that have closed their doors. And there's been a number of organizations that have failed. Um, and so we have to think to ourselves, surely we have to be getting close to the end. Surely. But my friends, um, our God is not afraid of small numbers. You look at Gideon's army, it started with 30,000, and then it went to 10,000, and then it went to 300. And we look at just the situation where he was feeding the 5,000. So Jesus goes, he feeds the 5,000, and everyone there was like, man, that was awesome, I want to make you king. And so Jesus was like, okay, well, I'm going to leave. So he went across the lake, and all these people were so adamant about making him king, they went and got on their boats, and they followed him, which is a pretty good sign, honestly. And as they were ready to make him king again, he turns to them and says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, whoop, whoop, hold, hold the phone, pump the brakes. 
I don't know if I can make a guy who's saying those things in my, into my king. And so he ends up scaring off the whole crowd. Literally all 5,000 who came after him, all 5,000 walked away. And there's only 12 still sitting there. That's it. And what does he do? Does he go and say, Ugh, I guess I shouldn't have said that. Never mind. Y'all come back. I changed my message. You don't have to eat my flesh. You don't have to drink my blood. Does he say, oh, well, I guess I need to take that bread and do another miracle. I need to draw another 5,000 in and restart this whole thing over. I learned my lesson. I'm not going to do that crazy teaching anymore. No, he turns to the 12 and says, y'all want to leave too? Jesus was not afraid of compromising his message because he knew having 12 men who will follow him to the depths was more important than having 5,000 who wouldn't. In the same way, God, because he loves us, and I want to, you to hear this part of it, God, because he loves us, is not going to compromise. He will let churches become less and less and less, and organizations fall more and more and more if he has to. Why? Because he doesn't want y'all having any other mediator than him. That's a disservice to you. I am a disservice if I am your mediator. Because I cannot be God to you. And if I am, man, I'm sorry, but you have a really crappy God. I do not serve well in that position, and I do not do what's in your best interest all the time, but he does. So because he loves his people so much, and because he is the only one who can be the effective king, and because he's the only one who can give you life, he will not allow anyone else to sit in that spot. And so as long as it takes for him to remove everyone else into that spot, he will do it. If we have to get down to one church in America, by God, God will do it. And so I say all that to say, we just have to instead think through and rather thinking that God wants this big ministry, that God wants these big results, that God wants this fame. All God really wants is you. He wants your heart. He wants that relationship. Okay? So you can read just literally pages after pages of this thing. Who has picked up the, the uh, first five books of the Bible and read them? I'm sorry, you get to Leviticus and it is boring. So boring. I am so grateful that Jesus died so that we don't have to continue doing all the rituals. Because, man, you're having to wash your clothes every single day. You're having to slay an animal every single day. You're having to do something all the time just to worship God. And so there's this whole big um, work through that you have to do that basically you have to have this priest go through this ridiculous ritual to be worthy enough to even be your priest. And then every single time you want to go to God, you have to go through that priest. And then every single time you mess up, you have to kill an animal. And if you want to get back with God, you have to take the animal and then you have to kill it. And the priest says, it, it, it was a whole big deal, okay? So Jesus, in his love, came and was like, I'll be the animal. You don't have to do that anymore. 
And as a matter of fact, I'll be your priest. So you don't even have to go through anyone anymore. We now can have one-on-one -on -one connection. And then what do we do inadvertently? We're like, ooh, that's great, but I'm glad I have great connection. I want to insert someone here in between us. And Jesus is like, heck no. I died for that direct connection with you. I died so you no longer have to go through the rigmarole of you having to have a priest to go through anymore. I died so you no longer have to take an animal and sacrifice it. Your sins are covered by my own blood. You and I are now connected one-on-one -on -one again. And if you want to go back to this old system, I ain't doing it. I'm not going back to the Old Testament. You guys aren't going to have priests in between you anymore, and you're not going to have animals in between you anymore. It's you and I, buddy, and that's it. And so, you know, he is going to continue to fight for that every single chance that he can to have that connection with you. And that's what I'm trying to hammer on this morning, is that what the Lord wants is to know you. That's what he wants, is to know you. Okay? And I'm not trying to say that there's any big thing that we need to do. And I'm not trying to preach that um, this is all salva salvation or anything like that. That's heresy of the greatest kind. But what I'm just trying to reflect on is the fact that the whole purpose of this whole thing was to take us from where we used to walk with, guard, in, with God with the garden face to face and then there was this whole big section on where we couldn't do that anymore. And then God finally got it to where we could again. And we need to get to that spot where we know that and we believe that and we walk in that. And that we have that direct connection uh, with him. Okay. Oh, let's see. So um, I'm just going to start moving it here towards the end. Because here's what I really want uh, for you guys more than anything. Being a pastor is a heavy responsibility. And anyone who doesn't think that it is, I fear for them. The Bible says not many people should be teachers because those who are teachers have stricter judgments placed on them. And so anyone who throws around the word of God casually, I fear for them. Because if they believe the words that are in it, they should have a little bit of fear about what it is that they are saying. And we are held accountable so far as what happens to the sheep. And so I know outside of right now, Ron's probably biggest concern is about him and his family, but I guarantee you the next concern that he has is, is about you. He loves you guys so much. Ron's been serving faithfully here for over a decade now, and he's not asked the church for anything. He's passed up raises, he's patched up. He probably could go to another church, make more money, have a bigger congregation, but he doesn't care about any of that. He cares about you. And he wants you to connect with God. So what I want more than anything else is twofold. I want to first 
have our church more vibrant and full of life than it's ever been when he returns. I don't want Ron worried about y'all's situation while he is gone. I want him to step back in here and y'all to say, I'm closer to God than I've ever been. I am really excited to hear about what you have to teach me. That's what I want. I want this thing vibrant. I want it full of life. I want him not to worry because this is not Ron's church, it's the Lord's. The second thing that I want more than anything, and I know that he does, is for each one of you to be mature enough that even if something were to happen to Ron, happen to me, happen to all of our staff, God forbid, at the same time, you would still be okay. Paul talked about this, that he was awake at night, concerned about his churches, that he didn't want them to be swayed by every single bit of cunning doctrine that would just come through and blow through. And I don't want that either. I don't want y'all dependent upon anyone other than Jesus. And so um, I know for a lot of you, you're already in that space, and that's great, but that doesn't mean that you don't know someone else who could use that. And that's what we need to be encouraging more than anything else. My friend, um, you know, Mossy, um, who's, you know, I can't get into his details, but most of you know, that's the number one thing that he runs into while he's over there is everyone feels like they're so dependent upon him. And, you know, he struggles because he's like, man, if they're all dependent upon me, if something happens to me, what's going to happen to all of them? And um, instead, what I would rather have is knowing that you guys are each part of the fivefold ministry. Your teachers, your preachers, your evangelists, and you're all in your own little sense and form. Not that you have to get up here and preach, because if my wife stood right here and was talking to you right now, she'd probably pass out. But I promise you, Jacole is a preacher in and of herself. She preaches the gospel quite frequently. And each one of you have that calling, and all I want to do is spur you on in that, to encourage you in that, to know that you can have that connection with Jesus, but also you have that mission with him and for you all to be a part of it. You know, I would love more than anything for there to be a new and a renewed excitement about what the Lord is calling you to, to be able to take a step back and to say, okay, Lord, how do you want to use me in this season? What mission have you called me to personally that we can do together? Because how it works is that Jesus is the one who wants to minister to your son, your neighbor, your coworker, whoever it is. You just have to partner with him to do it. And as fearful as you are, as long as you are willing, the Lord is able. And I am uh, I'm more confident of that than I can say. So... You know, as much as we can over these next couple weeks, um, we're just going to find a way. I don't know exactly how all the details are going to work out. But what the mission and the vision are is for us to encourage you guys as much as we can. For, for us to figure out a way that we can assist you in making your faith more vibrant than it's ever been. That we can assist you in your walk being closer to him than it's ever been. For you to know your mission. And there's only so much of that that we can do. You know, I can lead a horse to water, but I can't force it to drink. You know, if for those of you who feel the tug this morning um, to want to maybe get better about having some kind of time with God, wanting to know what your mission is, 
um, wanting to have a more steadfast assurance, uh, wanting to be able to hear God's voice, fill in the blank. Um, anything I can assist you in that, I want to. But, you know, we have to ultimately, each of us take charge of that. I can't go home with every single person and make sure that you're connecting with God or making sure that you're getting your vision, but I can encourage you in it. Um, because, like I said, just to, just to end things, as long as we continue to exalt other people to do the work, this trend is just going to continue. Um, and one thing that I've learned so far as being here the number of years that I have is um, this is the church to bring that challenge to, to encourage that to. You know, we are so full of a loving congregation that really does step up to the, to the plate. And so I'm just excited. I'm excited for how things are going to look when he does come back. And I'm excited for the stories that we're going to be able to share. And I'm excited, honestly, for the perspective that he's probably going to have. I can only imagine how the Lord is going to use this for not only his benefit, but our own. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm just really confident of that and super grateful. So um, just to end things, uh, please uh, be in prayer for um, Ron and his family as they navigate through this stuff. Um, there will be opportunity uh, to be able to, I'm sure, come alongside them. Um, we were talking about at some point in time, not now, but at some point in time, probably taking up a love offering for them. Uh, when we do that, the, the preference would be cash just for the sake of um, tax purposes, but we can also um, give in other ways as well. If you can't give that way, that's totally fine. Um, so just be praying over the next couple weeks as some of this unfolds, that if the Lord lays that on your heart, how much to give, and we'll give more details as that, as that unfolds. Really what the family needs more than right now really is your prayers. And I know that feels small, uh, but it's huge. I promise you, it's huge. There are certain things that giving money to cannot fix. And there are certain things visitations cannot fix, that meals cannot fix. There are certain things only the Lord can fix. And it's us interceding that fixes that. And that's where we're at right now, is we need that intercession for those things to get fixed. And then I promise you, I will open the doors and give you all the other opportunities that you all are itching to have. Um, but for the time being, please support him that way and trust us, and we'll keep you up. Um, so I will go ahead and um, pray us out, uh, and then the worship team can um, lead us out in worship, and then um, I'll give you the announcements, and y'all will get out of here a little bit early. Yeah, a little bit early. Someone said hooray. All right. Well, actually, never mind. I have my second sermon prepared. No, I'm kidding. All right, let's pray. Jesus, I'm thankful for you. God, you care so much about us. God, it's almost incredible. Lord, if you didn't, God, you would have just wiped us out a long time ago, but you didn't. God, you've left us here on this little ball, um, doing the things that we do in day in and day out. And God, you stepped into creation, Lord, and you removed every single barrier that we put in the way. God, and even still, Lord, even though there is literally no barrier at all in between us and your son, 
we still keep putting up barriers. God, I'm thankful for your grace. And Lord, that you will continue to fight for that one-on-one connection with us. And you refuse to have it any other way. Please take a hold of our hearts, God, and remove the barriers that we put there. Our anger, our past, our um, complaints that we have in this present life. Lord, the difficulties that we're facing today. Um, Lord, just the ease, God, of, of sitting back and letting someone else do it. God, whatever it is, Lord, that's keeping us, Lord, from that personal connection with you, I pray, God, that you would come and you would kick that wall down. That you would say, no, I love you too much. I refuse to have anything less. And I pray, God, that our hearts would be softened, that we'd see the love and kindness in your eyes and that we would respond and say, yes, fine. If you are going to pursue me this hard, Yes, I will take the time to get to know you. I pray, God, that you would speak to each person. Tell them how special and loved they are. Tell them about, Lord, the things that you desire to do with them. And just teach them, Lord, just about relationship. God, we do not have to wait until heaven to know you. Um, So please come and meet with us, Lord Jesus. And uh, just show us who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.